Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father, again, we thank you so much that we can, we can sing praises to you. We have this joy in our own hearts as we realize all that you have done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the Almighty One, as Re- Revelation says, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He came as a child, and he's the eternal Son. Father, we thank you that he is the wonderful Counselor, He's indeed the mighty God. Thank you, Lord, that he is the Prince of Peace. Thank you that the government is going to be upon his shoulders during the millennial reign. Thank you that on the cross he cried out, it is finished because he was the perfect substitute for our sins. Father, we thank you that your plan of redemption has been played out in our own lives as we have received Christ, that we do not have to work for our salvation, that we as we have received Christ, that we are completely forgiven. Thank you that his name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And thank you that you have worked that miracle in many of our hearts. Father, I pray for any here that perhaps are religious but have never personally put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that today might be their day of salvation. Again, thank you for as many that came out today, this morning to worship you. The world would say Christmas is all about just giving presents and seeing friends and family and eating food. Yet we realize that um, so much more. In fact, the priority is to give praise to you for all that you've done to us and for us. We ask now that you would help us as we look into your word. May it transform us. Lord, may we be convicted in areas that we need conviction in and walk away from here changed and growing in you so that we might please you even more. And yet even as we think about pleasing you, we realize that we can only please you as we have been placed in the body of Christ through our Lord. So we thank you for that, that all that we have, every spiritual blessing that we have is goes right back to the fact of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross and him bringing us into the family. It's It's not our own merit, but on his that we can stand righteous before you. And we thank you for that. We give praise to him. Help us to stay focused on the text, on your word, so that we might honor you by growing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Junior church is dismissed. I trust that you've had a wonderful Christmas Eve. And a wonderful Christmas. I'm sure many of you are are going to be having family and friends over and a lot of wonderful things happening for the next few days. Most of you know, have heard the story the, to us the night before Christmas. Well, I'm going to read to us the day after Christmas. This is what one man wrote about the, the day after Christmas. T'was the day after Christmas when all through the place there, was, there were arguments and depression. Even mom had a long face. <clears throat> the stockings hung empty. The house was a mess. The new clothes didn't fit and dad was under stress. The family was irritable and the children no one could please because the instructions for the swing set were written in Chinese. <laughs> 
The bells no longer jingled and no carolers came around. The sink was stacked with dishes and the tree was turning brown. The stores were full of people returning things that fizzled and failed. And the shoppers were discouraged because everything they bought was now on half-price sale. (laughs) Plus, the day after Christmas, the spirit of joy had disappeared. The only hope on the horizon was 12 bowl games the first day of the new year. It caught my eye when it said the spirit of joy had disappeared. You know, they say that Christmas is one of the most happiest times of the year, but actually for some people it's the most depressing. The spirit of joy, the Christmas spirit had disappeared. And I want to just investigate that for a few moments this this morning. What exactly is the Christmas spirit? By the way, if you put it at the wrong thing, if you, if you say this is what Christmas is all about, you'll get depressed. You'll, you'll be let down after that is gone. And, and there's a lot of different things that people would offer as, as to what is this Christmas spirit. To Scrooge, the Christmas spirit was a ghost. Some think it is eating and drinking and being merry. By the way, it is good, isn't it? Don't we have a lot of good food? <laughs> Oh, man, let's not even go there. For some, it's, a, it's in a liquor bottle. To the others, it might be the temporary truce that takes place in a family just during the Christmas holidays. I always found it interesting. Did you, did, do you remember the story? There was a story that came out of World War I that on the eve of Christmas, the Germans and the Allied forces actually put their weapons down. They sang songs together. They actually gave presents to each other. They actually uh, played soccer together on that Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then took up their guns to kill each other the next day after. Sometimes there's a truce during Christmas. For others, the Christmas spirit is giving cards. They say there's up to 5 billion Christmas cards given. Now, probably that's fewer this day and age because a lot of you, well, you send e-cards. How many of you get an e-card? I got an e-card. Those are cool. One little boy suggested that the Christmas spirit is really contentment because that's what you're going to need when you don't get everything you want. You know, but for others it is a profound sadness and increased depression because all that is wrong in their life as measured against the happiness of the time and their situation seems even more profoundly painful at this time of year. For some it is very, very difficult As one poet put it, in very personal expression of pain, quote, Christmas is a bitter day for mothers who are poor. The wistful eyes of children are daggers to endure. Though shops are crammed with playthings, enough for everyone. If a mother's purse is empty, there might as well be none. And so a lot of times there's a letdown. In fact, that same poet ended the poem by this, by saying, My purse is full of money, but I cannot buy a toy. Only a wreath of holly for the grave of my little boy. So for some, some, it is a very hard time of year. By the way, I say that only to say this. Be sensitive on how you deal with people because for some, they may be mourning. There might be great sadness, and sometimes we are insensitive. For others, it's a time for saying thanks for the very basic things of life. 
I like what G.K. Chesterton wrote. He said this, and he died back in the 30s. When we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings with toys at Christmas. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stocking with legs? Yeah, I mean, we should be thankful for the very basic things. We have health and we have ability to even speak or see or whatever it might be, the basic things of life. But mostly, I guess, the spirit of Christmas is, for many, giving presents. At least if you're young. Billions of dollars have been already spent on people, uh, by people. And I, and I would put it this way, as they collide and careen around the crowded stores. How many have gone to the mall in the last week of Christmas? How many, anybody? I didn't. I survived. Yeah, not many of you did. How many, only a few people went to the malls the last week of Christmas? That's good. <laughs> you survived as well. Again, it's not wrong. I don't want to be a Scrooge about this thing. And I love it. By the way, I love watching my kids. I've grown to love watching my kids open the presents. I love receiving presents, but I'll tell you, I really love watching them, you know. And I was watching my granddaughter, you know, all the presents. And I just was curious, what is she going to do? She's only one. She played in the box. <laughs> yeah, she played in the box. Um, it's pretty simple. Yes, Christmas is about fun and fellowship. It's about giving. But you know what? If you, you, you have to answer it correctly. What is the spirit of Christmas? What is the Christmas spirit? Because if, you've, if, you, if you identify that properly, then you don't have the letdown. Okay? All those things can be part of it, but I think we need to go to the Scriptures to say, okay, really what is the, uh, the spirit of Christmas, the Christmas spirit? And if you want to go to Luke chapter 1, we'll see that. We're going to see it with Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And again, this is after she just got to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth had just told her about some things. And verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I would submit to you today that the spirit of Christmas is worship. If there's nothing else that could happen on, the, on, the, on today, it should be worship. And you might say, well, is that really consistent throughout Scripture? Or are you just pulling out a couple verses in the New Testament? Well, let's just see how people responded when they heard about the coming king, the birth of Christ. Well, Elizabeth, we see this right in this text. Look at verse uh, 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Drop down to verse 44. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. You might want to underline joy. What happened when um, Elizabeth heard about the birth of the king, joy. She was filled, the baby was filled. Joy, worship, praise. If you go to chapter 2 of Luke, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. They're praising and... Actually, they were saying, it wasn't so much they were singing, they were saying glory to God in the highest. Worship. Elizabeth worshipped. 
the joy leaped, the, the babe leaped in the womb. The angels worshipped. How about chapter 2, verse 20? Then the shepherds, what did they do? Uh, Return, glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. What did the shepherds do? They worship, they praise. How about Simeon, verse 28? He took him, Jesus that is, up in his arms and blessed God. How about Anna, verse 36? And coming in, that instant she gave thanks to the Lord. When people understood that the babe had been born and who the babe was, they worshiped, they praised, they exalted God. That's the, that's the spirit of Christmas. Worship. Thanking God, blessing God, glorifying God. In fact, in Matthew 2, 2, 2 uh, this is a little bit time, uh, time later, because now by this point, Joseph and Mary are in the house. It could be up to two years later. Remember what the wise men said? We have come, what, to... Worship Him. So again, worship is the supreme attitude of Christmas. It's not about family and friends, although that's great to have family and friends. It's not about food and fellowship. It's not even about uh, presence and all that. It's really about focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a pretty profound thing that John Piper wrote. He said, God loves His glory more than He loves us. Now that almost sounds depressing at the moment. But it is true that God loves His glory more than He even loves us. But he, he closes with this. And this is the foundation of His love for us. He loves His glory, but because He loves His glory, because we are His, He protects and takes care of us. Why? Because that glorifies Him. Okay? Even His love towards us is less than His own desire for His glory for Himself. I say all that to say this, worship and praise is the priority. That's what God wants. I, I, I hope it, this rings in your ears, even throughout this, this season, I mean, today and tomorrow and this season. And sometimes, because I, I noticed, actually, we had our Christmas yesterday, because one of my kids have to work today and some other things. So we had our Christmas. And, and I, when I got up this morning, I said, oh. And then, actually, what I was preaching on hit me. No, no what do you mean? This is, this is a day to worship. Every day is a day to worship, right? Actually, in that sense, every day can be Christmas. In that sense. We're, we're always worshiping the Lord. Because the other things, though they are nice, and I'm not saying they're not even important, because I, I, I love all those other things. That's not the priority. Well, let's look at Mary and just break this down and give you a few things of what a true worshiper is. And again, this is her psalm of praise. It goes from verse 46 to 55. Her hymn of the Incarnation, some have called it. To this point in the story, Gabriel has come and revealed to Mary that Jesus would be virgin-conceived, that the perfect God-man, the Savior, the ruler, and he would be called Jesus. It says that she arose and went in haste to Elizabeth's house. That's where we find her here. And it is after Elizabeth's blessing that Mary breaks out in worship of verse 46. Okay, so that's how the process. Probably Joseph has not yet heard of the situation. Okay, that happens probably when Mary comes back. But I believe that in verses 46 to about 49, you can pull out some things about Mary and about her heart and how she has stayed focused on worshiping God. 
By the way, let me throw in a very important few points here. Mary, most likely, is only between 13 and 15 years old. Now think about that. Young teenager. With the prospect of being pregnant without a husband in a very conservative Jewish society where she would be rejected, she would be maligned, she would be ostracized, most likely, she would be mocked, she could even be stoned. You've got to put all this in. She's a young girl who is, who is, we look at her as being so blessed, and she is, and yet think about the context for her, and think about what she is doing right here. She's, she is in a very hard spot as far as from a worldly standpoint. And yet look at what she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, in this, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The first characteristic or element is that she worships from the heart. Because notice she says, my soul, my spirit. It's synonymous with the inner man. She's not saying I do it externally. The depths of my heart are crying out, and in, in, as it were, are overwhelmed with all that God has done in my life. It's just like praise and worship are just arising from within, and the heart cannot even comprehend it. So this is inward. This is not a performance. By the way, worship is not something we primarily do externally, right? I mean, wasn't it a great time to sing? But this is the point. Only God really knows if you were worshiping Him. Because you could really sing loud, and you could sing with gusto. And, and even the fact that you're here on Christmas morning, and some people would say, well, I, you know, I don't have time. And I am so appreciative that you're here. But really, it's really between you and God, because only He knows your heart. He, he's the only one that really knows if you are worshiping from the heart and not just an external thing. Again, it's not a performance. It's not a set of words or actions. It, worship is this. It should bubble up from within. It's from the inward being. And that's what she's saying. It's like, all that is in within me. <laughs> you know, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I say that, that it's from the inward because Jesus himself warned and said, you know, my people, they don't worship me with their heart. He said it in Matthew 15, actually referring back to Isaiah 29. The Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, they say the right thing. They'll show up to the service. But what does he go on and says, but their heart is far. That word far means a great distance from me. By the way, I'm not saying that you didn't. I mean, I, I listen, you know, part of the service. Part of the service, I, I, I don't sing the entire time only because I, I got to say my voice, okay? So I'll mouth it. So when I mouth it, I really, I can really hear you that. I mean, man, that's such a blessing. So I was just thinking about this. Lord, thank you so much. There's so many people behind me that can make up the difference. <laughs> I mean, even when I sing, I don't sing loud. And I always have the mic off. I mean, it's... <laughs> See, Jesus might be saying of maybe one of us or many of us, they talk about me, they put things about me on their Christmas cards, they sing carols about me, but they don't honor me. They've removed their heart from me. There's no heart in what they're doing towards me. That's why David in the... When he, re, when he was repenting 
of his sin with Bathsheba in Psalms 51. He said this, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. The idea is, the truth has hit my heart, and that's what you want, Lord. And when it comes to worship, the truth should hit our hearts, and then we just kind of explode, as it were, and say, Lord, you just are so magnificent. And, and that's not easy, by the way. Right? That, that takes work. Does worship take work? Does worship take a prepared heart? Does worship take a selfless heart? Yeah, we're going to see some of that. See, a, a true worshiper is devoted, but he's devoted from the within. He, he loves what God loves. He hates what God hates. By the way, there's a struggle because sometimes I love what God hates. That's the sin principle. And I have to confess that. But, but I'm, I'm seeking to walk with God. So as I come before Him during daily life or Sunday morning, my heart has to be prepared because there's a struggle. The old flesh wants to rear its ugly head against what God wants in my life. See, I, a worshiper would be concerned for God's reputation for things that God wants to happen, right? So it's from within. That's the first. And that is a major element here. I mean, that's, you've got to highlight that. But let's look at the second one. A true worshiper has a forgiven heart. The second part of verse 7. 47, my spirit has rejoiced in God, catch this, my Savior. He's my deliverer. That's what Mary says. He's my deliverer. He's the one that's going to rescue me. Here she's confessing her need for a Savior. We touched on this a couple weeks ago, I believe it was. Just let's, let's agree together that if, if you ever hear that, that Mary is the mother of God, you need to reject that. If, if you ever hear the teaching that you need to worship Mary, we need to reject that. By the way, Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ, who is God, but not the mother of God. She, he didn't derive his divine nature from Mary. Or if you hear of her immaculate conception, which means that she was conceived without sin in her own mother. I'm saying Mary now. That's wrong. Or that she's a perpetual virgin. Or that she is sinless. Or that the assumption of Mary, which basically is that she went to heaven without dying. No, no. Let's just look at the text. God, my Savior. Why is she so excited? Because she knows the Savior has come. The Messiah has come. So she's not the queen of heaven. She's not the co-matrix. All that is idolatry. All that says that somehow, actually what that says, you have to worship her and it's through her you get the goodies of life and Jesus has to submit to his, his mother and that's all wrong. In fact, there's a part, uh, look at verse 38, Luke 1, 38. It says, Behold the bondservant of the Lord, be it done according to your word. Some have said this, that actually Mary was given permission, giving permission to Gabriel, that Gabriel was the servant and Mary was giving permission. Yes, you can use my body. No, 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 no. She is the worshiper. <laughs> she is not the one being worshipped. That's why verse 46 is so important. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior. He's the one. I'm just a lowly servant. She says that in verse 48, the next verse. His servant, his, I'm just a, a little girl slave. That's all I am. He, she actually repeats that twice. Once there and 
Again, once over in verse 38. I'm just a maid, I'm just a maid servant. Mary understood this, that all have sinned. Therefore, all were condemned, including herself. That she needed forgiveness. And she's worshiping the Savior because she knew that her sins as well would be dealt with. Right? She was going to be forgiven. So let's keep Mary in the right place. By the way, as I have studied this, I have actually really appreciated Mary more than I guess I have up to this time. Think about 15 to 15, 13 to 15 year old who is told that she's going to carry the Messiah. But think of all the, all the struggles and trials that she would have to go through. No, she was a godly young lady. But that's all she was. She was a sinful, godly young lady, right? Right? She was godly because she, she, you know, she received the assignment, as it were, with joy. By the way, do you receive the assignment that God gave you with joy? What do you mean? Well, what are some of the struggles in your life? What are some of the hardships in your life? Sometimes we kick. Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we get bitter. We get frustrated. We look back with so many regret. And some of those regrets aren't things that you did. It's things that God put in your life. God allowed in your life. Yes, we live in a broken world, sinful world. But here's Mary saying, you're in control. And I'm just your servant. Boy, if you can get a servant mentality, it just eliminates so many sins in your life, right? What's a servant mentality? Lord, what what you want to do in my life, that's what I want done in my life. I mean, I'm not saying they're all easy things, but God's grace is sufficient. So the question is, up to this point, is have have you done what, what Mary has done in recognizing your need for a Savior? Have you trusted Christ that what He did on the cross was sufficient for your sin because you are a sinner? Have you done that? Have, have you put your faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ? And if you have, are you sensing all that God wants to do in your life? as a believer in Him. And that the hardships are there, there's purpose. Okay, Really, as you look at this first part of the text, what do you see? Yes, her, her heart, her worship is from the inward. Why? Because that's what she's focused on. She's, she's not focused on, the, on the, the physical aspect. Yes, I mean, He's going to be born physically, but Savior, what do you mean? That's spiritual. Okay? We need a, a Savior. She's really focusing in on the spiritual aspects. And that's why she can give praise to God. Because if you start focusing on the external, on the temporal, on the physical, uh, it can get a bit very de- depressing. But when you start focusing on the internal and on what God is doing and that we are blessed in, in the heavenly and all the spiritual blessings are found in Christ. And as we are in Christ, we have all the spiritual blessings. Oh, then you, then you walk around saying, I am rich. And we are in Christ. So she's a, she has a forgiven heart. Let's look at the third. A true worshiper has an intense heart. That word magnifies the Lord is megaluno. Mega. By the way, that usually doesn't grab our speak, English-speaking people, you know, when you say mega. Because we use mega for everything, you know. Hey, do you want to have some mega fries? We're going to mega conference. Some of you young kids want to have a mega base. More base than you'll ever need, ever want, you know. 
Probably there's a mega iPhone out there. I, mean, I don't know. You know, We use mega for everything. But, but here, now catch this. She's saying this. My soul is mega exalting the Lord. And the second part of the megaluno means to swell or to grow larger and larger. And the idea is, she's saying, my heart, as I'm learning these truths, are just, is just growing and growing. My soul is just growing. My spirit is just growing and growing and wanting to exalt the Lord. There's a growth factor here. Mega. And, second part again, I, I keep going back from verse 46 to 47. And my spirit has rejoiced. That word rejoice means to be overjoyed, unspeakable joy, uncontrollable joy, just spontaneous joy bursts. (laughs) So, I mean, it's real descriptive. I mean, she's just talked to Elizabeth. She, Elizabeth has told her that, you know, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And now she's starting, I think is really, it's coming together all that has happened after Gabriel spoke to her and now Elizabeth, and she's saying, oh, I am so blessed. C.S. Lewis asks, how long has it been for you since you were surprised by joy just bursting out from inside of you? Do you ever, get, do you ever find yourself like in, in a time with God in the morning or whenever you have it or you learn a spiritual truth and it's just like it's just, oh, I just want to almost like scream for joy because I learn and, and, or, or an old truth that really hits your heart for the new time. Does that ever happen to you? That is so wonderful when that happens. Like an old truth just like grips your heart. Or you go through a very hard struggle and it's like the Lord brings peace when you felt like it never could have peace. And it's like gripped your heart and it just, I just want to, want to burst out with joy. So again, this is real. This is not external. This is not temporal or superficial. This is acceptable because this is from a heart that is just overflowing, abundant. Last night at our Christmas Eve service, we talked that, about that Jesus was not only our, our life, but is, is the light of the world. But when it comes to his, our, our life, He is our life, but He is abundant life for us. And as, as we experience abundant life, that just overflows, and therefore joy can overflow towards God. See, I, I really believe it's living the abundant life that produces this type of a heart. I believe that Mary was, was living the abundant life as an Old Testament saint. Okay, as an Old Testament saint. But it was just, it was just welling up within her all that God had done. But it was even before that Gabriel ever came. Her heart was, I believe, prepared. See, God wants to do many things in our life. Sometimes we say big things, but reality is there's only a few big things that really God has done in my life. If you really say big, my life is pretty much a mundane life. Not really. Isn't your life somewhat mundane? I mean, we go through the same motions over and over. You know, I think it was uh, Paul Tripp said, you, you only get a few big decisions in your entire life. Yeah, I don't know how it played out that, but the point is, is this. The idea is that you're prepared. See, your, your life is a continual pre- preparation because we're soldiers. And so God puts something in your life, maybe something very, very difficult. It might be that, you know, that uh, situation where you hear the negative report from the, from the doctor or someone is really hurt or some what we call crises. But the reality is, 
Our hearts are prepared to, you know, for whatever God has for us. See, this was a cri- This could have been a real crisis for a young lady, but her heart is just overflowing because it was prepared. So she was an intense worshiper, and then number four, she was a com- she had a uh, has a committed heart. A true worshiper has a committed heart. My soul magnifies. I'm going to go back to that word and say this: that it's a verb in the present tense, which means habitual, continuous. True worship doesn't happen just for a moment. It is not related to an event. It's not like she got to this point and then she said, okay, now I really got to put on my spiritual heart. She was prepared. And she said, I just want to keep worshiping the Lord. And circumstances aren't going to change it. Now, I want you to catch that. Just like when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit and joy and peace. And worship are the same thing. It, it shouldn't change because of circumstance. If the reason you came today and you were able to worship the Lord with such vigor, which I believe perhaps you did, but it was just because everything is going your way, all circumstances are lining up the way you want. See, that's not really what we're talking about here because this is a worshiper that has a committed heart. In other words, committed, whether the circumstances are hard or easy, whether we are in prosperity or poverty, and I, I don't like saying that because it's like, Lord, I don't want to be tested in these areas. But the point is, is this. A committed worshiper worships regardless of the circumstance. It doesn't matter that the circumstances fluctuate. Their heart is content. Their heart is joyful. Their heart is at peace. Their heart is with love because those are the fruit of the Spirit. And that just pushes us to want to worship Him more. Yesterday we had an, a little incident. It was very small. But the point is, it was just a little negative circumstance. Okay, so yesterday we had our Christmas. At the dinner table, there was a negative circumstance. I won't even tell you what it is because it's so small. But the point is this. There was a moment, for actually a few moments in my life, where it was like I was jilted. And I'm like, ah, ah. But what God is teaching me is like this. Are you going to worship me regardless? Or is it like depending on that I give you the goodies? Everything has to line up. John, what happens when you're told that it's terminal? You going to still worship me? What happens when your checkbook is a lot less than it is this year? You going to worship me? Or the relationships aren't there, or maybe the relationships are there intact, but they're not home for the holidays. You're going to worship me? Now, we've got to have a, a consistent heart. How about number five? A true worshiper has a humble heart. Verse 48, for he has regarded the low, lowly state of his maidservant. He, he's regarded this lowly state. He's humble. If there was one thing I could say about a humble person, it's this. No thought for himself. That's what a humble person is. See, their, their, their eyes are not focused on themselves. By the way, pride is focused on self. In fact, pride competes against God. But a humble person is just saying, Lord, I'm just saying, man, I can't. And like this, I just can't believe that you have, that you have regard for me. I'm just a maidservant. I'm just a slave. That's, that's the word slave. That's the, that's the lowest. What did a slave do? Just wash feet when they came in? And I mean, there was... Insignificant. I'm just your servant. I'm just your slave. But you can see the humility there. She would say this, I didn't deserve it. But pride would say the other. See, 
She would say, I didn't deserve the blessing that you gave me. But, but pride would say, well, I didn't deserve that being the, you know, the negative. Do you find yourself contented? Do you find yourself thankful? Or do you find yourself thinking of yourself? Um, see, pride gets bitter and resentful and vengeful and angry. A humble heart stays joyful and at peace because, gee, it's not about me. It's not about me. I just can't believe it. Look at that. He has regarded. That's there's a there's a prefix added to the word see. In other words, he is the Almighty has turned his eyes upon me. That's the idea. She thinks it is incomprehensible that God would have had such regard for such a common, humble slave girl, as it were. She's amazed and awestruck that God is going to use her. And she just bursts out with wanting to magnify the Lord. Worship is an attitude, one man said, of the heart that is so filled with wonder and gratitude at what God has done that there is not a thought of personal needs or personal blessings, only total abandonment to God in praise and adoration. It is the most selfless thing we do. Speaking of worship, and that's why it's so hard, because it is selfless. So again, she had a humble heart, and finally she had a knowledgeable heart. Because in verses 48 and following, oh, excuse me, uh, verse 49, look at all the things, and, and she's using the aorist tense, and he says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. And really what you see here is her going back to the Old Testament. And, just, and, and you can see she has a real good theology. By the way, this is in a day when, when not every family had a Bible. In fact, it was most likely their family didn't have the Bible, that the only place she would have heard Scripture would be when she went to the synagogue to hear it read. So here is a young girl, 13 to 15, with a crisis that could have been in her life, but she's magnifying the Lord, and she doesn't even have a John MacArthur study Bible to go running home to. But she's heard the Scriptures, she has believed the Scriptures. And notice what she's saying, uh, second part of verse 40, 51, He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. And I'm sure she's like even thinking, yeah, think about the kings of the north that were scattered. Think about Nebuchadnezzar who was scattered when he went against, you know. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Yeah, the times that the nations went against Israel and and God destroyed them and all the other times. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty and maybe thought of Joseph, the patriarchs. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of of his mercy. Yeah, Israel is still on the chart as it were. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. The Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, the covenant of the land. See, she, you can tell she is rich in theology as just a young, just a young lady. See, a worshiper has a knowledgeable heart. And then in verse 49, For he who is mighty has done, again, uses the word mega things for me, great things. You know, honestly, it would be hard to worship God, though, if he was just great. I want, to th- I want you to think about this last thought. It's not that she's saying that God is great only, but God is my Savior. Sure, he's all-powerful and all-knowing and perfect and holy and righteous. 
But can you believe it that God, the holy God, loved you? Loved me. See, it's one thing to say he's powerful and holy. It's another thing to say, and he came to this earth for me. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, who would sacrifice himself to pay for my sin. I'll put it this way, our sin. That he would rescue me. That he would rescue us. And call us into his family. And then indwell us with his Holy Spirit. And then continue to teach us and be patient with us. And then when I go to him and ask forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive me. And he wants to change us. And he wants to bring us to glory. I mean, those are the truths that you magnify the Lord because He's not the all-powerful, holy judge who will someday crush you. He's the, whole, he's the holy, all-powerful uh, Father who has brought you into His family. Who are we that we should be so highly favored? Not to be the mother of God, but to be children of God. Did you happen to think about that this morning? You're opening the gifts and all the great presents. We should just we should wrap a gift sometime. I should do that. If I thought of, I would have just a box. And when you felt it, it'd be kind of whew, and all at the end. And then I'd wrap it up, and at the end, the kids would be tearing into it and feel like air because that's all there is. But at the bottom of the box, it say, "If you've received Christ, you're a child of His." Yeah, that's that's what you can get excited about, right? Because after all, the paper and food is gone and the, and the dishes are in the dishwasher. Being, You can go back and say, no, that's what Christmas is all about. Not about that, but about what Christ did for us. Have you received him? Have you received the King of Kings? Because again, he came to be born in a manger so that he would die on the cross for our sins. Has it hit your heart that you are a sinner and that you need forgiveness and it was his sacrifice that can forgive your sins as you receive him? Have you experienced salvation? And if you have, do you realize that you have been brought into God's family and that you are children of his? That he is our father? Just say that with me. That God is our father? That's what the Christmas spirit is all about. Worship, that deep, heartfelt, inner spring of intense gratitude and joy that just bursts out because we know all that God has done for us. And I just trust that during this time, during this day even, as you're around the family that maybe you haven't eaten the, the ham yet. And maybe, but if God gives you the the blessing of being able to give the blessing, that you would mention that. Lord, thank you for bringing us into your family. Yes, thank you for my family. Thank you for the food, but thank you for the spiritual benefit. And as we go through the day, and then by 5 or 6 o'clock tonight, you just have to like lay on the couch. <laughs> I've eaten too much. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes, I know it's happened to me around 7, 8, or tomorrow morning, there's this little bit of tinge of almost like a letdown. Uh, wait a second. The spiritual truths are still intact in for your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. That may be when you should run to the Scriptures for a few moments at least and say, you know, 
Lord, yeah, yeah, let, remind me of all that went through even Mary's life. And yeah, let me, let me magnify you. And wouldn't it be great if tonight or even tomorrow morning you just had a little praise session? If you ever start feeling a tinge of letdown, go to the, go to the Lord in praise and say, Lord, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for this time of year. Thank you for all these other blessings, but especially that you came to this earth to be my Savior. Yeah, that's, that's how you keep Christmas in your heart all year round. It's focusing on him, right? We can have joy, intense joy. Let's stand as we sing to him. Blessing on each one here. Uh, safety as they go home. Just a wonderful time with family and friends. That their hearts would be continually drawn back to the truths of Scripture and to you. And Lord, may they even have an opportunity, may we have opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone this Christmas season. Father, again, we thank you for these words of encouragement found in Luke. And may, we, may we be believers who are living out these truths. We can talk about worship, but may we actually participate in it to give glory to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.